Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim, Will Foxley, and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0. I'm Ben Edgington, lead product owner of Teku at Consensus. And I'm Christine, a research associate at Coindesk. We're usually joined by Will Foxley, but this week we've actually booted him off the program in favor of somebody much more special. I'm just kidding. Will is going to be back next week. But for today's show, we really do have a super special guest. I'm pleased to welcome Hank whom I know better as Superfizz. Hank runs the ETH Staker community, which now spans a bunch of media dedicated to staking on Ethereum 2. There's the original ETH Staker subreddit, a lively Discord server, ETH Staker website, whole load of video material on the YouTube channel, the Ethereum Study Master program, community calls, quality Twitter output, and, and so much more. Hank, Fizz, I'm so glad you could fit us in with all that going on. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited. How's it going? Where are you broadcasting from? Uh, so I'm near Nashville, Tennessee in the US. Very can we cool. Can we uh, clear up uh, one thing, please? What are we to call you? I, I know you're Super Fizz. The entire community knows you as, as Super Fizz. Are we going to call you Fizz? Are we going to call you Hank? What do you prefer? In these cases, I really prefer Fizz. It's how I'm most comfortable interacting with the Ethereum community. But I also know that some people have this proclivity for real names, so I'm very okay being called Hank. Uh, it really is just that uh, I am most well known by that moniker right now. Fair enough, Fizz it is. So when you're talking about you know what you're known as in the Ethereum community, I noticed that the original ETHstaker subreddit has been around almost as long as the Ethereum chain has been live. So it says that the group was made in December, 2015 which means that there have been people who've been just waiting for the day to be able to stake on Ethereum for as long as Ethereum has been running. Fizz, what inspired you back then to create this group and what sort of evolutions has this minority group of Ethereum enthusiasts undergone in the last five years? Wow, that is, that's a really big question. To, to begin, I didn't actually found ETHstaker as ETHstaker. Uh, the mysterious Twigwam uh, who many people know from uh, probably Twitter the most. Uh, she's the actual founder of ETHstaker. Uh, I did begin sort of organizing this small community. So there, there was a place where the Ethereum community on Reddit was most focused on ETHtrader. I wanted to create sort of a, a place that was like ETHtrader, which we now go to ETHfinance, but I want to create a place like ETH Trader for stakers. And in order to keep that naming convention the same, I settled on ETH Staker. And then it was just, you know, talking and, you know, connecting with people to, to kind of get all those things plugged in together. When you ask about what changes we've gone through, you know, it's funny. I would say that the core principle of ETH Staker has always been be welcoming first and be knowledgeable second. You know, I consider myself the, the lead organizer of eStaker, and that is something that I have pushed across all of our media, that when people come into staking, the thing they need to do first is feel welcome, like they belong, like we want them there, like we care about them. 
and then we can start imparting knowledge. I, I've never wanted ETH Staker to be the kind of place where you see RTFM. As a matter of fact, I provide what I hope are friendly, corrective comments that say things like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're participating in our community. Maybe you're not aware that our ethos is welcoming first and knowledgeable second. So that's kind of how I describe how we've become what we are. Hmm. Around what year was it that you actually did start to, to help organize ETH Staker? It was probably 2018. I would say it really began when Danny published a comment to, I guess it was our Ethereum, saying that the old smart contract system for staking was being revamped. Um, at that point, I just, I felt really motivated to become more involved and to make things better. I would say it also goes back further. Uh, when I was mining on the Olympic test net for Ethereum one, which was before Ethereum one was released, we had a subreddit then we had a, a loose knit kind of collaborative Ethereum mining group. I just wasn't satisfied with it. It felt very competitive. There were a lot of supportive members, but there was just no real organization. And I felt like that's something that I have the potential to bring. While I don't have the most technical expertise, I am able to set a tone and support a community. And that's kind of what I bring. I think you've been uh, incredibly successful at doing that. And I certainly felt extremely welcome in the uh, East Acre community. Uh, you've got quite a cast of characters uh, involved now across quite a range of uh, activities. Why don't you give us uh, an overview of the different things people are doing and the initiatives that, that are going on? It's so funny because I, I like to call us a loose collective. I don't always know what the other ETH stakers are doing. When I say ETH staker core, I'm referring to five people. And that is myself, Nolan, who is, he goes by Lamboshi Nakagini, Patricia Werthalter, uh, who people know as the brains behind Poap. He also has his fingers in, in everything else in the world. Buddha, uh, who works for Bitfly, which is the company that produces uh, Beacon Chain, Beacon Chain, the ETH2 Explorer. And then Michael, who goes by Unvetica. He is our, we call him our DevOps person. And also I, I refer to him as my emotional support human because he, he hangs out with me and, and helps me keep my head on straight when I'm trying to navigate complex things so uh we all need yeah. one of those yes uh, and I'm, I'm glad to have him and and the team we've been together over a year now and we work very closely together but we also work autonomously uh so it's just a really good fit and what are some of the uh initiatives uh, sure i would say the thing that's biggest on my mind right now would be um something that uh, our friend colfax is doing it's called steakhouse there are, I think, four or five people working on Steakhouse. It's a graphical one-click installer for all of the clients. And so he's shown some, uh, some GIF demos of it. One of our core goals is to reduce the complexity required to stake. Uh, we feel like there are a lot of home users who are just intimidated by staking. And if, if we could make it safe and easier, then they would become more involved. So while it still kind of under wraps the Steakhouse installer is is one thing we've got going on. We also, one of our other big successes is the Ethereum due diligence committee. That's right now being run by Madison Asher. He is basically, they hold, they, we, I call myself an attendee because I'm, I really don't want to get into the nuts and bolts, but I love the direction that they're working in. They look at staking products and vet them for basic standards of usability. 
And so they don't really say that one staking service is better or worse. They basically say, we feel like your funds are safe here. We feel like funds are less safe here. One of the ones that I'm loving lately is the um, Ethereum Study Master platform. That is one that Ben is, is our valedictorian from the first group. We initially did it through Google Forms and basically you read some research and answer questions on it. And it's a way to develop your content knowledge for Ethereum too, because there's so much content knowledge. On completion of 10 of those articles, you get a POAP. Michael has transferred that to its own domain, ethereumstudymaster.com. And now you can go through that process autonomously and earn a POAP just for demonstrating knowledge of Ethereum 2 concepts. And Hank, what <laughs> is a POAP? Oh, great question. Patricia Worthalter, one of our e-stakers, he developed several years ago this concept of the proof of attendance protocol. Basically, for any event where you can prove you participated, you can earn an ERC-721 token that shows, hey, I was there, I was a part of this. Because of COVID, because of the isolation, it is sort of grown and developed in several ways. And I'm sort of pressing this agenda that we call it the proof of action protocol. So rather than just showing up to an, an event or a meeting, POAP can show that you did something. One of the latest iterations that we've developed is our challenge coins. And I won't talk about that in a broad sense, but I'll speak about it just for ETH Staker. We've created a challenge coin so that anyone who has made a significant contribution to the ETH Staker community can then receive a POAP to kind of keep in their collection and say, look, I'm a recognized contributor. And one of the, the jokes is that it's, it's a grown man sticker collection. POAP has real and developing value. It's an exciting opportunity to help people find ways to prove their participation and get more involved with not just ETH2, but the entire Ethereum or cryptocurrency. POAP is one of those things that can reach far and wide when it reaches its potential. So I don't have a POAP for this, but I really did do these actions. I was looking at some of these YouTube videos, Hank, that you spoke at in the Eighth Staker channel. And I noticed that, yes, you and some of the work that and the initiatives that you guys have, you guys are really advocating for solo staking, basically earning rewards on ETH 2.0 as a validator of running your own hardware, your own software. And I'm curious to know, like, why are you so convinced that solo staking is the best way to stake on ETH 2.0? And why is it not something that only tech savvy coders should be doing. I myself have kind of thought that I might be tech savvy enough to run my own staking machine. But as soon as I was able to kind of hand it off to somebody, our director of engineering, Spencer Beggs, um, mm -hmm. he was able to do everything just so much more easily than I could. And it made me think, okay, maybe staking isn't actually something that just anyone can do, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. Let me know your thoughts on this. I am known as, as the guy who promotes solo staking, but I have to say there was a time and a place for that. In the first several months of staking on the beacon chain, the only products that had really been tried and tested were these four implementation clients. Uh, and so the community and I and the developers felt very confident that these four implementations were ready. And so if you had 32 Ether, it was a great time to stake. If you didn't have 32 Ether, there are a lot of pools came up and we, we're seeing a lot of pools now, but I haven't been ready to promote 
these pools because I felt like they needed more time to mature. And I, I'm also looking for a few criteria that suggest that pools are really safe to use. And the three criteria that I've really been looking for are that they're based on open source hardware, that they're decentralized, and that they're trustless. And those are really big hurdles. At this moment, we don't have a staking pool that meets all three of those hurdles. That's kind of why I'm in this mode of solo staking or waiting. Now, that's not a popular opinion because I, I know that people want to stake. They want to do this now. They don't want to wait. And so the bridge that I've, I've reached is, you know, I see this staking pool that's, that's getting ready to provide these services. And I'm just kind of encouraging people, wait until things have matured, give it a few more weeks, and then you'll be ready to stake. You um, have been billing yourself recently as the uh, Beacon Chain Health Coordinator. How healthy is the uh, patient doctor? What would you say? It's, it's three months since, since launch. What are, what are your observations? It's incredible. Obviously, I'm a fanboy. You know, the Beacon Chain is what I've spent a lot of my time with. But when I look at it, and I know when you look at it, the Beacon Chain could not be healthier than it is right now. And I can't spin it any other way. When the Beacon Chain was in the testnet phase, there were some client issues. And, you know, it took a few tries to get things right in the testnet. But when main launch happened, things were perfect and have been perfect since that moment. And I hesitate to say perfect because something could always go wrong, but they've definitely exceeded my own expectations. Essentially what we had were four mainnet launch clients that were effectively developed to the point that they could launch this Genesis block. Those four clients have run efficiently since that moment. Um, and three months in, we've onboarded over 100,000 validators with 3.5 million Ether uh, locked in that smart contract. The Beacon Chain has uptime that's consistently above 95%, often in the 99% range. Things are running really well. We had one issue with some pools that were misconfigured that led to some slashing events. That's a natural consequence of pools launching before it was really the right time. But on the flip side of that, I feel so proud and confident that ETHstaker has contributed to client decentralization and decentralization of the network by getting home stakers to accept that risk and feel comfortable and fire up their own validator at home and know that they're supported by a community. And so when I look at the distribution of, you know, exchanges who are running nodes um, versus whales versus home users, I feel very proud and confident that home users now reflect a greater proportion of that pie than they would have if eStaker hadn't existed. And speaking of the proportion, Ben was talking last week on this podcast about this upgrade code update that enables trustless staking pools and the ability to kind of withdraw your stake when that's enabled to an ETH1 account as opposed to some new Ethereum 2.0 BLS signature account. Speaking to that upgrade a little bit, I mean, Fizz, do you see more trust going to staking pools because of that upgrade? Do you see that distribution being impacted because there's now people like Rocket Pool, people like StakeWise um, that are leaning more towards not centralized staking services, but decentralized staking services? Yeah. That is really the thing that I'm looking for. I'm looking for open source, decentralized, and trustless staking pools. I know that there was a, a mad rush 
for people who held 32 Ether to stake any way that they could in the beginning. And I don't blame them for that. I also believe that there's a large user base who is waiting for the right time. And the right time is going to be probably three or four months after one of these uh, trustless, decentralized, and open source tools has launched. Uh, and so while I'm very excited about them, I'm not going to be the guy saying on launch day, do this now. Yes, I'm going to do it. I'll speak for myself. When I give advice to anyone, I'm really going to suggest that they wait and see how robust it is, how successful it is on the network. And when we've had enough time to see that it's robust and successful, then you can begin dipping a toe in. But moving forward, I really want to see all of the pools, all of the providers begin moving toward these models that are trustless, decentralized, and open source. As the community, we have that leverage to say, we're only going to choose providers that help us help the network. Um, we're not looking to support selfish providers. There's a lot of money for operators who can do great marketing and draw in staking nodes. But as the community, we want to support solutions that promote the health of the beacon chain, not the health of an operator. Hey, Christine, something very exciting. Speaking of supporting the health of the network, I noticed a couple of hours ago that Zelda has proposed her first block. Do you want to remind Congratulations! us? Do you want to remind us who or what is Zelda? Yes, definitely. So Zelda is Coindesk's ETH two Metal, Metal Albert's girlfriend, right? <laughs> well, that's, this is news to me. Zelda is our. I'm gonna have to have a talk to her. You know, get her some There's many validators out there. Does she really want to pick the one? What number of rank art is Metal Albert? That's oh, uh, she wants to be in the. 10 rank, you know, top 10 right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yes, no, but uh, so Coindesk, Coindesk Ethereum 2.0 validator, funny enough, actually did start off as a project where the trajectory of it was, okay, let's just give this to a staking as a service provider. Let's not do it ourselves. Let's just rely on a provider to handle the whole operations for us. But it was really until we did that research and we really did take a look at the kind of data we'd be able to gain ourselves by running our own node, as opposed to doing it through a provider that we were like, wait a second, this actually could be doable on our end through a cloud service provider, AWS, Amazon is what we're using and, and move forward from there. So we actually launched this validator sometime in early February, I think it was mid February. And it's taken about a month to get our first block proposed and it's such a huge milestone for us because we had originally wanted to put in some graffiti into our first block, but I don't think that that went through um, because right now it is actually a POAP that I see on the graffiti on, on beaconchain.in. And Ben had actually said that was something that you implemented, Fizz, the graffiti on each of the early blocks. Yeah, so um, I, I wouldn't say it was me personally. It was Staker together. Oh. We wanted to incentivize home stakers to participate in the Genesis launch you know, we tried a bunch of different things, but POAPs are very rewarding for our community. And we ended up distributing three types of POAPs. We distributed to the first 1,024 depositors, okay. to the first uh, 32,768 proposers, and I guess also to uh, maybe the first 1,024 proposers. I don't know. What we were looking for is to get over this hump of fear of depositing. And so we incentivized that by tacking on a little extra reward. 
while those don't have obvious value, they do have a lot of imbued value. As in, personally, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I value my Genesis Depositor POAP among most other things, even though it's just a digital token. It's it's worth more than money to me. Stickers for grown-ups, mate. They uh, are happy to say that Metal Albert is the uh, proud possessor of uh, all three of those parts. Wow. <laughs> ben, how many blocks has Metal Albert actually been able to propose up till now? Uh, so validators are uh, averaging about 10 uh, blocks each. Um, so as the network grows, your chance of pr- proposing a block goes down. So they come less frequently. So currently, on average, you should be proposing a block about every 15 days, but it might be you might get two at once or you might get, you know, like a month between. Uh, but the value of the blocks goes up. So the block just proposed by Zelda, I, I worked it out, was worth about $6.33 uh, at the time. Uh, yeah, for all that work. But actually, 97% of all of the income comes from attesting, so voting. So actually, only 3% is the block proposal in, in ETH2, which is so different from the kind of ETH1 model. I was glad that Ben brought that up because for anyone who's been around a while, we are hooked on this concept of mining and hitting blocks. As an early miner, like hitting blocks was all I cared about. And now what really matters is consistency and longevity on the network. So one of the issues with the the misconfigured pools is they weren't satisfied with 99.9% uptime. They wanted 99.99% uptime. And really what matters with staking is good uptime. If you're up 90% of the time, then you're doing well. You don't have to fret about hitting blocks or proposing blocks. As long as you're running your validator, you are supporting the network and earning income. That's a much more relaxing and welcoming model than the anxiety of trying to hit blocks. Speaking of all these initiatives to help people stake, I mean, initially it was getting over the fear of, you know, actually putting your deposit 32 ETH worth into this uh, very experimental Ethereum 2.0 proof of stake blockchain. I'm wondering what are still some of the areas of education and knowledge that both you, Fizz, and Ben think are still lacking? Because there are steps and stages to being a staker. For me, it was, do I do proof of stake? Do I participate in a 2.0 as a at-home staker or do I use a staking as a service provider? And then once I made that decision, it was like, okay, now I have to go through the launchpad process. After I do the launchpad process, there's the activation, you're in the pending queue. And then you're actually, you know, on the network staking. You do your attestations and then you hit the milestone of like, okay, I actually propose a block. Like through all these stages, what is kind of the most difficult part and what resource development does there still need to be to make it easier for users to participate on the network and get familiar with this low stress, (laughs) ideally low stress process that still, you know, at certain stages uh, could seem stressful. I would say to answer your question very specifically, client installation is a little bit, it's still the hurdle. And that's one of the reasons I've pushed and one of the reasons Steakhouse has responded with this concept of a one-click installer, where you sort of load up a graphical interface and it says, which client do you want to install? You choose one through four, press the button, and then select the location of your keys. Thank you. You're done. It should be that easy. I honestly, this is silly. I hoped that before launch that we would have a polished installer like that. 
it is still the hurdle that prevents many people. Uh, in fact, you know, did an installation session last night for someone who's new to Linux and he did great, but I'm thinking this is not, this is not the task. The task is not running Linux. The task is maintaining a validator. I would love to abstract away the installer. On the big picture, there are two hurdles. They are keeping the roadmap in front of the users, which is difficult. I can't keep track of the roadmap. You know, I, I spend quite a bit of time leisurely checking out the updates, but the roadmap evolves so frequently. Old information is pervasive. And by the time we train something new, there's a new evolution. It's good. It's, it benefits the network, but it's difficult for users to keep up with. And so the roadmap, I would say, would be the first hurdle. And the second hurdle is recognizing that most new stakers are not going to be solo stakers. We've gone past the point where people have whatever $50,000 in their back pocket that they can fire up a validator. And so the new hurdle is training users to recognize healthy staking pools. We don't have a live healthy staking pool. I can't really say do it this way. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Rocket Pool. I'm excited about the launch of Rocket Pool. But really what I'm looking for are a variety of options for trustless, decentralized, and open source pools so that people have a choice and they can say, you know, these three pools all meet the standard. Which one do I want to use today? That's really the second hurdle. Hmm. All really good points. I mean, Ben, what would you say to the research and development roadmap? Because I really share Fizz's concern around the roadmap really does change quite frequently, especially last week with the whole... Now the plan is to kind of dock Ethereum 1 onto Ethereum 2.0 instead of like merge the two. Like that just seems like a big change. It doesn't seem at the forefront of where users can get their intel. I mean, how do you improve that then? I mean, is research and development really like that much in flux that it's just very difficult and not going to get down to users in real time? Like, is it something that just will always be delayed or? Yeah, I, I understand this concern. And I think it's a fair point, but in another respect, your average staker today doesn't have to worry too much about what's coming up in a year's time, but also should be aware that, you know, what's happening today will also not be what's happening in a year's time. So at some stage, we're going to put shards onto the network for data throughput, and that's going to put a, a different load profile on, on your staking machine. So you're going to need, you know, perhaps more bandwidth or more CPU uh, at some stage. At some stage, we're going to put this executable beacon chain is going to happen uh, for people who are running an ETH1 node locally uh, at the moment. That's probably not going to change things too much. But if you're not, you might have to start doing that. So that's going to change the sort of load profile on, on your machine and that kind of thing. So there is an uncertainty about what's coming up. And I understand if people are, are hesitant about that. And I think the way we've structured the reward sort of reflects that. So Early stakers, the brave, the risk takers, you know, were, were earning 10% plus when the network started. It's now down to about uh, just over 8% uh, gross yield uh, per annum on staking because you have to be slightly less brave now. You know, in months to come, as more people come on board and people are more confident about the future, the, the rewards go down. So it's always risk and, and, and reward uh, in, in that respect. So I think we kind of reflected uncertainty in the, in the network like that. Speaking of technical developments and updates, any that uh, you think should be mentioned on today's podcast for listeners and also for Fizz, I mean, all the stakers that he's connected to. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, quiet the last week or so. So uh, we covered a couple of updates last time. Um, I think the main topic is test nets. So 
uh, we're working on potentially putting up a different test net. So I've mentioned before that the Piermont test net and main net are about the same size now, which means that Piermont's not really suitable for testing out, you know, what happens if, if the network's twice as big, will the clients cope? Um, but on the other hand, it's a great test net for people who just want to check their staking setup and make sure that everything's running and just get some familiarity with the tech before committing a real E2 to the project. So we are looking at, as client devs, are putting up a much bigger, maybe 200 or 250,000 validator test net, but that will be sort of semi-closed. We'll just use that for performance testing the validators uh, in the first instance. And the other thing we need to be able to test is how do we do a hard fork on, on the network? How do we upgrade it? Because we're planning to do this mid-year. And we don't really want to disrupt people who are just kind of, you know, just getting started with staking and things and then, you know, force this on them. So we'll uh, be thinking about, do we need another test net to, to kind of test the upgrade process and do that three, four, five times till it's perfect uh, and so on. So these are the kind of things we're discussing, but low impact on anyone who's staking, but things are advancing on that, on that front. I hope that comes as a relief for you, Fizz. <laughs> I'm tuned into the ETH1 or the all-core developers stuff right now because there's so much excitement going in there. As you watch ETH1 pivot and change to kind of be ready to coordinate with the beacon chain. Yeah, it's just uh, great to see uh, things happening. I mean, this EIP 1559 has uh, definitely catalyzed uh, things and... Uh, with the ETH1, ETH2 merge coming up, there's, uh, I think, an excitement that's sometimes been lacking in the roadmap, the progress of Ethereum. So it's, uh, it's good to see. And also a lot of controversy. I mean, as soon as the conversation shifts from just Ethereum 2.0 developer research and development community to now the Ethereum community more broadly, there's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of different voices kind of for and against this. And I think to some extent, it introduces a lot of toxicity and a lot of disagreement. Fizz, you had mentioned that one of the things that has made ETH staker what it is today is that it's always, you know, be welcoming before being... Before knowledge. Right. Welcoming first before and knowledgeable knowledge. second. Yeah. So now that Ethereum 2.0 is kind of beginning to look ahead to the merge, starting to include a lot more voices, becoming a more of a debatable topic, what challenges have you faced like dealing with that toxicity and how do you move forward with a community that is the size of Ethereum and still maintain that kind of ethos? Because I think the Ethereum community has struggled in the past, especially with governance. I mean, where, where is your stance on that? So I think we have this blessing of having set this tone for so long that people know when they step into an ETHstaker community, they know the expectation. You know, expectations are different for every community. Some communities openly welcome hostile arguments. If you bring a hostile argument to ETHstaker, we're going to say, hey, glad you're here, but let's tone this down and be constructive about it. And so while I'm aware, you know, there, there are frustrated miners, I also have seen miners come to ETHstaker and say, hey, we are curious about this. We want to learn more. I think that things have really kind of begun to shift now that everyone has recognition that this is the general path forward. I feel like there's this um, kind of calm and patient shift toward curiosity. I do see a greater proportion of people who were previously mining now asking questions in ETHstaker about, you know, what is this pivot going to look like for me? Because we have that, that welcoming tone, it has been a really a, a peaceful kind of thing. The community has been very calm and welcoming, and it has really worked out in our best interest. 
I think you deserve a contentious question after uh, saying all that. Uh, yes. Which, which, in your view, is the best client? Oh, Teku, hands down. Perfect. What? <laughs> <laughs> of course, Teku, all the way. I am encouraging people to use Nimbus. We don't have great metrics on this, but our impression is that Teku is the least utilized client and all of us should want great client diversity. We should want each client to run about 25% of the validators. So if there's a serious fault, the network doesn't suffer. Uh, so you're going to hear me, and not only am I promoting Nimbus, Nimbus is stepping up to the plate and making some really great offerings. So they've implemented this doppelganger detection that will prevent users from being slashed if they run their, their keys in two places. They are interacting and connecting more with Rocket Pool so that they can reach out to those users who want to run Rocket Pool on, on lightweight hardware. So it has been a dance with Nimbus and I'm very happy that they are stepping up to the plate. We're going to increase Nimbus usage. I love Teku and I started with Prism. Uh, so there you go, diplomacy <laughs> in action. <laughs> nice well, thank you so much, Hank. It's been a pleasure just hearing about all of the knowledge that you have on Ethereum 2.0 and also about all of the awesome initiatives that are being started by the ETH Staker community. We're very thankful that you were able to join Ben and I on this episode of Mapping Out ETH 2.0. If anybody who's listening to this podcast wants to learn more about the ETH Staker community, we're going to have links to the Reddit group and the YouTube channel in today's show notes. Ben and I will be back again next Thursday with more insights on proof of stake and Ethereum development. So please be sure to subscribe to get that notification and the alert when the new episode airs. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our newsletters. Uh, I write every other week on Ethereum 2 development at eth2.news uh, or follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know when the next one is out. You can also subscribe to Christine and Will's weekly newsletter, Valid Points, by going to coindesk.com. If you have any questions you'd like answered on this podcast, you can connect with each of us on Twitter. Our handles are in today's show notes. Give us a shout out. We'd love to hear from you. See you next week for Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be. Goodbye. You have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine Kim and Ben Edgington with guest appearance, Superfizz. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com.